The following is a presentation of the All Andy Alford Network, powered by Anchor. You are listening to Andy on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Bleaker, and Pocket Cast. However you listen, wherever and whenever you listen, thank you for tuning into the program tonight. And you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Alfred. It is at All Andy Alfred and Facebook.com slash All Andy Alfred. What a game at Doydell Perry Stadium to kick off the 100th season of Bowling Green football. What an absolute great game. But now the real test begins as we now head to Manhattan. To battle the Wildcats of Kansas State. What has week one shown us in college football? Well, Ohio State's really good. Michigan is okay. Notre Dame is Notre Dame. And Toledo can't get the job done. And they don't have the right man at center. The preseason is over. We begin the 100th year of the NFL on Thursday. The Indians struggle while the Tigers continue their march to 120 losses. And the boys of winter have made it to CBUS. Training camp begins next week for the Jackets. But it's time to get together and hit the links. And I hope you have a hole-in-one today, because it's time for All Andy Alfred. Guess who's back? All Andy Alfred. And a shot at a goal. 24 runs in the span of the shut out. Dumbino hit to a home run. Go! That's way back. Bear down, Chicago Bears. Choo-choo, it's time for all Andy Alfred. And with that, I say, I love you guys. And welcome into another edition of All Andy Alfred right here on your exclusive home for me, the Anchor Network. And that is with the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Bleaker, however you listen, wherever and whenever you listen to the program, thank you so, so much for tuning into the program. And as always, you can be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred. It is at AllAndyAlfred. So welcome into the program. Got a lot to get into tonight. Of course, we are going to recap the weekend that was on the diamond for the Indians. The Indians, woes. Continue now as they are hitting, they are struggling for the chance to get into the postseason. We'll talk about that. Also, we'll dive into the the continuing struggle that are the Detroit Tigers. Their march to 120 losses continue. We'll dive into that. Also, we'll talk and recap the final games for the Mudhens as well. And the boys of winter are back, of course, like I mentioned before. 
Uh, the Jackets had a their golf outing. A new face will be on Fox Sports Ohio. We'll discuss that as well. And tonight, and this, not tonight, but this week, kicks off the 100th season of the NFL. We'll talk about the NFL, and you'll also give you an update on my predictions for this upcoming season. But like I said, you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Alfred. It is at all Andy Alfred. But we are going to start first and foremost with the weekend that was, and we're going to talk about college football. And we're going to start with what we saw on Thursday night at Doit L. Perry Stadium, folks. Cue the band! As Bowling Green welcomed their 100th season this past Thursday night as they opened at Doit L. Perry Stadium against the Morgan State Bears. Bowling Green in front of a, a good-sized crowd, destroyed the Bears. As they play the I Ziggy Zumba, of course. In the background. Roll along, my BG Warriors. Roll along and fight for BGSU, of course, as BG got off to the right page at Dwight L. Perry Stadium this past Thursday night. As they took on Morgan State and absolutely annihilating the Bears from the MAC Conference, which is the Division II Conference, as a great tune-up for them. Bowling Green, the winner, 46-3, to beating the point spread. It was basically over at halftime. Bowling Green putting up a total of 30 points on the board. Morgan State the only score that they had came in the second quarter. The breakdown looks like this. In the first quarter of the game, Andrew Clare started the scoring for Bowling Green with a three-yard run uh, that went 12 plays, 76 yards in three minutes and 53 seconds. Another shutdown at the 11.07 mark into the first quarter. And then with one minute and 32 seconds left to go in the second in the first quarter, Quentin Morris's pass in the corner end zone from Darius Wade caught for another touchdown. The uh, extra point attempt failed on a five-play, 40-yard possession of two minutes and four seconds. And after one quarter of play, Bowling Green was up 20 to nothing. In the second quarter, Bowling Green scored at the 12-32 mark. With a field goal of 24 yards out, a 7-play, 36-yard attempt in 2 minutes and 28 seconds. Quint Morrison then again topping again for BG. A 27-yard pass from Wade on a 9-play, 68-yard uh, possession. 3 minutes and 27 seconds. Bowling Green was up 23 to nothing, And then with 5 minutes and 23 seconds left to go in the quarter. Jones, uh, Davon Jones ran it in on a three-play, 24-yard play for Bowling Green, and it was 30 to nothing before Michael o Nicholas O'Shea kicked a 27-yard field goal with a minute 24 left to go in the final frame 
for Morgan State. Four plays, 25 yards, a minute 19. And at the break, Bowling Green was up 30-3. to The onslaught continued. Darius Wade, a seven-yard pass to Davon Jones, made it 37-3. to The Again, pounding it again. Sims, Christian Sims, in the fourth quarter, receiving an 18-yard pass from the third-string quarterback, Grant Lloyd, and a nine-play, 80-yard possession, two minutes and 55 seconds. Bowling Green up then at 44-3. They then scored a safety with a minute 38 to go. And the final at Doyle L. Perry Stadium on opening night for the BGSU Falcons, a 46-3 game. I tell you, they dominated from start to finish. They looked very good, but they also looked very, very sloppy in some aspects of the game. But here is the total breakdown. The total team statisticians look like this. Total yards, Morgan State has 70 total yards. Bowling Green, 620 total yards in the game. Bowling Green through the air, 294 yards on the ground, 326 for Morgan State, 24 through the air, 46 on the ground. Bowling Green has seven penalties for 70 yards. They got to clean that up a little bit. For Morgan State, six penalties for 43 yards. 37 first downs for BG, four in total for Morgan State. On third down, Morgan State, two for 12. Bowling Green, nine for 17. And on fourth down, BG, two for three. Time of the possession looked like this 38 minutes and seven seconds for Bowling Green, 21 minutes and 53 seconds. For Morgan State. Leaders. Uh, Darius Wade. 22 completions for 253 yards. 3 TDs in the game. Uh, Grant Lloyd. F- 3 completions. 41 yards. 1 TD in the game. For Andrew Clare in the game. He had. He had he averaged about 6.1 yards. To carry 1 TD. And he had a total of 86 yards in the game. Davon Jones averaged about 4.8 yards a carry for 76 yards, one TD in the game. Grant Lloyd had a good game, too, as a running quarterback. And he is a good quarterback. i got to give him credit for that. Got to give him credit for that. He averaged 7.5 yards a carry for 60 yards, no TDs in the game. And for the first time, BG begins the season 1-0 for the first time since 2013. Bowling Green is now 13-2 all-time in season openers at Doy L. Perry Stadium. And Scott Leffler is the first BG coach to win his first game since Dave Clawson in 2009. Says a lot. Other news and notes. Quentin Morris tied a career high with two touchdown receptions in total. He got five balls for 65 yards in the game. Five players earned their first career starts for Bowling Green against Morgan State. It was Darius Wade, Austin Doris, Julian Ortega-Jones, and Sam Nevrom and Tim Blair. On the defensive side of things, uh, Colby Coleman recorded his first sack of his career during the first half. On a play, he forced and recovered the fumble. It was a fumble right there. He was his second fumble, the third for fumble recovery of his career. He also earned four tackles. Um, and Bowling Green, defense, Held its point below 100 yards of total offense for the first time since holding Eastern Michigan to 65 yards of total offense since November 23rd, 2013. 
BG ran 101 plays, the most since 105 in the win against Maryland in 2015. Nine different receivers caught a pass in this game. In 2018, BG saw nine different pass catchers just one time versus Miami of Ohio. So what does this all mean? What does this all mean going forward for Bowling Green? I like Darius Wade. <clears throat> or like Quentin Morris. And I like Andrew Clare, what I told you. This defense looks very, very good. I like this defense. I like the offensive pattern that they have going as well, too. I will also say this. They've got to clean up the penalties a little bit better. And they've got to be better on, better on a little bit more better on defense. But it is Scott Leffler's first win as head coach. The first win for a Bowling Green coach in his debut since Dave Clawson in 2009. Scott Leffler was very, very pleased with his kids' performance. A lot of sloppiness to go forward, but very, very happy. So courtesy of the Bowling Green State University Athletic Department, here is the post-game interview for Scott Leffler from this past Thursday night as Bowling Green buried the Bears 46-3. to I thought they both, on um, all three phases, they played hard. They played tough. Um, just like I've said uh, before in the press conference, I thought uh, our kids had a very difficult, hardcore get-after training camp. I thought they had a tough summer, and uh, they improved. Are we anywhere where we need to be? No, we're not. Uh, we've got a long way to go, but uh, I thought tonight they made a step in the right direction. Uh, there's a ton of mistakes out there, There's, uh, but uh, there was a lot of positive, too. Super happy for him. It was a tough situation all week. It's been a tough situation the entire training camp, and uh, they uh, both Grant and uh, Darius both handled it like a rock star. And um, I was happy for both of them to be able to get in there and get some experience. Like I said at the very beginning, hopefully we'll need all three. And uh, um, tonight we had two, and uh, I thought the two played uh, decent. Uh, there was uh, obviously a lot to correct on the tape. We have a long way to go. But, uh, you know, for, for a guy that hasn't played in a year, not bad. And Grant did some great things. I'm telling you, Grant Loy has, uh, has really, really improved. And uh, he's got a long way to go also, but I'm happy that he was able to go in there and have some success too. During camp, obviously, Darius was kind of out of rhythm, looked clunky at times. And today, for the most part, I felt like he had good timing with his receivers. It didn't look really anything like he looked in camp. There was times that uh, that he looked on rhythm. Uh, there was times that he did not still. Um, there was a, believe it or not, there was a, some missed opportunities there that uh, that he had some big big play potential that uh, his footwork was wrong, his body position was wrong. And when you start playing super, super great defenses and your body's not in perfect body position upon delivery, you're not making that throw because you're going to take a massive hit and if your body's out of out of whack and your weight transition isn't good enough and you're on poor rhythm, so we got some work to do. You know, we got some big time opponents coming up, and uh, for the quarterback to be able to play right or and play effective and efficient, technique is everything.
coach, Robert Page, from, uh, it's all about sports out of Camden, New Jersey. Uh, true freshman, Jawan Howard, um, Jawan Hudson, I'm sorry, I'd be on the field for you tonight. Uh, uh, look, he has some outstanding play. What do you think about his game tonight? I think he's going to be a really good football player. We've got a bunch of young guys out there right now. Uh, we're going to take some lumps uh, just because of how much youth is out there. But uh, for the first time, a freshman corner trotting out there, that's pretty impressive. I mean, it's just like a quarterback. You're on an island. You're by yourself. Everyone knows when you make a mistake. He's a very mature young man. He's a great kid. He's got great speed. He needs to learn a lot, like any freshman would. But uh, he did a nice job this season. I know you have a lot you still want to work on, but to come in in such a short time and change a lot, what does this win mean to you, the staff, and the guys in that locker room? Well, um we're going to go back and do business as usual. You know, we're going to, uh, our whole thing is 100% concentration on just that play. This is over. Um, there's a lot to learn from. So what we'll do is we'll come in here, we'll learn. Uh, we'll take, uh, we'll take uh, the mistakes that we made and we'll improve on them and uh, just continue to work and put this one tonight and get ready to go play Kansas State. A lot of coaches see the first win as a validation of your offseason. Is that how you kind of view this win? Kevin Tolbert. Kevin Tolbert did a remarkable job, and Danny, our trainer, did a remarkable job. And just like I said, this camp was not easy whatsoever. I know a lot of you were around it. It was intense. It was pretty, pretty tough camp, and it'll always be tough around here. I mean, that's the way we're going to do business. But uh, um, yeah, Kevin Tolbert did a great job along with Danny. Just before the game, it was like a Michigan The coolest thing I think about college football, hands down, is uh, when you see guys that you, I haven't talked to Derek in 10 years, and uh, whenever you see guys that you played with, that you uh, uh, went to school with, um, it doesn't matter. You're right back to where you were at. And that's the greatest thing about college football is relationships. And uh, I think... Uh, the minute that, as a coach, we start, you know, just worrying about wins, we got to win. I got it. But there's a hell of a lot more than just winning. You know, it's about getting these guys ready to be great fathers, great husbands, and their best friends ever will come out of, you know, their their college team. When you scream something, you ever hear Boyd's voice come out of your mouth? Or, or I heard Steve Adazio this tonight because I made the dumbest. I, I didn't. I didn't play complimentary football uh, at all. Um, right before half. That was, that, we should have had a shutout tonight and that was because of my error, period end. Uh, we, we, we busted a pin pole scheme, came back with an inside zone and I, we got greedy. I should have thrown a control pass, tried to take a shot and uh, I heard Steve in the back of the head, my, <laughs> I heard him <laughs> protect the damn defense. So, um, and I didn't, that was a mistake. And just like the players, there's a bunch of things as coaches we need to improve and we'll do that. Yeah, we want to be as balanced as we can, use every ounce of talent that we have, and we're going to have to. You know, we got to spread it around, we got to be balanced, and uh, besides that uh, error, before half, we played complimentary football, and we got to do that. I mean, I think we had, what, a couple 12, 13, 14 play drives, and 
Uh, anytime that you go three and out, you're putting your defense in a really, really tough bind. If they're having to play nine, I think we had 52 plays at half. And uh, anytime that uh, we can stay on the field and keep our defense off the field, that's complimentary football. It's not going to change. That's just what we believe. Defense, you know, 70 total yards, which plus territory three times in the first half. See, that's a good first set. Yeah, and just like I said, very similar to the offense. We we got work on both sides. Uh, we had a couple debacles on our side, the defensive side, and special teams, and. <clears throat> You know, whenever you're playing those games where the talent is equal or they have greater talent, uh, everything matters. So we need to uh, show the kids that, uh, you know, that all their hard work is great. We, uh, we had some success, but uh, every single day in our program, we got to take steps to improve. For these older guys, they're used to walking off this field last year, not happy, not cheering. What do you think a win to start off the season does for them? Um, I really like our older guys. They've been through a bunch. And David Cano's, you know, it's that's one. I mean, I can go to story after story after story with these kids. And, um, you know, just watching them go from doing 185 four times to doing 225 19 times, I mean, there's some dedication uh, from those kids. And uh, they all know it. We're, not, we're, we're nowhere where we need to be, but we're going to just keep uh, chopping wood and keep pushing that rock and see if we can push it over the hill somewhere. I know it's a marathon, but is it nice to have the first one out of the way as a head coach? Excuse me? I know it's a marathon, but is it nice to have the first one out of the way as a head coach? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You're building toward this day. You know what? To be quite honest with you, it was uh, doing it as long as our staff and myself has done it. I was more excited. There was it, this was about our kids. Period. End. And the older I've got, and uh, and I'm hoping that it continues in that direction. The minute that we think it's about us, it's a player's game. Period. End. It's our job to mentor them. It's our job to improve, make them better. But to be, I was fired up for the kids, and it's what we do. And as a staff, it's how we do business. And uh, but uh, so to say that I was excited for myself, not even a little bit. It was all about our kids. You mentioned the kids still need to make improvement on your side of the ball. You mentioned the mistake you felt you made. But I mean, was this pretty much best case scenario for you guys to start the season with where you started at? We were just worrying about 100% concentration on just that snap. So the results, you know, I, I said to our kids, it doesn't matter if we're down 14. Uh, up 21, that's going to be our mindset. It's going to be the process, 100% focus on just doing our job, and um, we were able to make more plays than them. So you just heard Scott Leffler's comments after the Morgan State game. And Morgan State, you know, they're not a real big pushover, but this was a game that you, you kind of felt like Bowling Green needed to win because to set the tone early in the season, and they just came out and just hit a home run, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, like he said, there's a lot of a chance to for improvement. There's a lot of opportunities for this team to continue on, but um, we should see what happens with that. Of course, like he said, we move on to the next game, and it is a big game for Bowling Green. Bowling Green now will hit the road and go to Manhattan, Kansas, to take on Kansas State. Big game for BG on the national stage on FS, 
ESPN uh, Fox Sports Network. 12 o'clock kickoff. Um, 11 a.m. kickoff out there. Bowling Green's going to be facing a, a coach his first year, but his career is staggering. Chris Kleiman, he's 1 0 as the Kansas State head coach. is his first year. In his career, he's 73 and 13 in seven years of coaching. It's unbelievable. The, the one they're going to have to worry about is Skylar Thompson. He was 16 for 22 for 212 yards. He had one TD and one interception in the game. That is their leading quarterback. On the ground, they have to control James Gabbert. He had 18 touches for 115 yards, one TD. He averages per carry 6.4 yards. And he averages 115 yards a game, of course, because it's only one game so far this season. Uh, on the receiving court, they got to worry about Dalton Schumann. Three catches, 65 yards, one TD. He averages yards per game, 65 yards. Per catch, he averages about 21.7. And for the offensive line, they have to worry about Daquan Patton. He has five tackles. And five assists. Looking at some of the stats for Kansas State in this game, they averaged about, since after one game, of course, they put up a shellacking on their opponent this past week in week one, beating Nickel State 49-14. to And here's what it looked like as the matchup breakdown looks like this. Uh, averaging out. Bowling Green averages out 46 points a game because they've only played one game. Kansas State 49. On first down, Bowling Green has 37 first down. Kansas State 33. On the ground, Bowling Green has 326 yards of total rush offense, rushing yards. 361 for Kansas State. 212 through the air for Kansas State. 294 for uh, Bowling Green. That averages out to 620 yards of total offense for BG. 573 for Kansas State. Points allowed per game. Kansas State only allowed 14 points. Three yards. Rushing yards allowed. Bowling Green allowed 46 yards. Kansas State allowed 150 yards. On the passing game, they allowed 126 yards. Bowling Green allowed 24 so far. Total offense allowed 276 yards in total to 70. BG had four sacks so far this year. Kansas State has none. The Kansas State... Wildcats are a plus two in the turnover margin. So uh, some other notes to pass along to this one and some note numbers to think about as well. Bowling Green is number one. BG leads the MAC in total offense and total defense as well as first downs and first downs allowed. They are number one in conference play. Here's another number for you to pass along. 17. Bowling Green has 17 championships, all tied 12 in the MAC. Uh, the number 70 is the amount of yards the offense allowed in week one, the fewest in program history since the November 23rd, 2013. 23 is now what Andrew Clare ranks is in the BGSU career rushing list with 1,513 yards. Also, one other note, nine, the number nine. Nine different receivers caught at least one pass against Oregon State. Big game for BG in this aspect. 
Um, Scott Leffler, very, very committed to this team. Um, some news from practice, of course, to pass along to you tonight here on All Andy Alfred. The notes, of course, from practice. Bowling Green's getting a little bit healthier at the offensive line. Key pieces. But mostly the news is that they've been practicing inside the field house and practicing with crowd noise. Manhattan Stadium, which is which is the Bill Schneider family stadium, holds fifty thousand. They expect fifty thousand for this game on Saturday afternoon. It's gonna be very, very loud, so they've been practicing filtering in crowd noises, loud noises inside the field house so they can get the count right at the snap shotgun stance as well as on the defensive end as well. So no penalties will be committed. Penalties were not really the key thing for Bowling Green in the last game, but it will be interesting to see how that they will use that. Um, no news about Andrew McDonald, the quarterback as well. To pass along to you as well, too. So, um, on Labor Day, Scott Leffler met with the media to break down, of course, Thursday's game and what he saw of his offense. But he also talks about Kansas State in their high-powered offense. And uh, we have the audio for you. And this is the only place you'll get to hear the full Monday press conference for Scott Leffler as he previews Kansas State and recaps Morgan State. This is... Courtesy of the again, courtesy of the Bowling Green Athletic Department. This is the Scott Leffler Media Preview of Kansas State. After uh, watching all three phases of the game uh, with Kansas State, uh, you can feel on tape the culture left by Coach Schneider, and you can see the same culture brought in by uh, Chris uh, Kleiman. They're super tough on tape. Uh, they play relentless on all three phases. Uh, they. The thing that's most impressive, I think, about them is they're tremendous technicians. Uh, we're going to have to be 100% on point to do what we need to do to, uh, to go in there and uh, compete and try to uh, come out with a victory. But uh, I think they probably play extremely good team football. I'm hoping uh, in my time here that I can get up and uh, compliment uh, uh, staff, and I hope someday someone can compliment our program about how relentless they play, what great technicians they are, because this organization uh, that uh, Coach Schneider left and then Chris obviously um, is, uh, took over is a tough, relentless, technician-sound football team. So we've got, we've got our hands full. Uh, but we're going to every day, single day, work to uh, to become better technicians, play relentless. And uh, um, with that being said, I'll take any questions. You've been on your team for a while, telling them every detail is going to matter in some of these games. When you go on the road against a Power 5 team like this that doesn't really beat itself, is this one of those instances? Yeah, everything, every play, every play that occurred out here on practice matters. Um, I think... Uh, We've got, to, we've got to pack our defense. We've got to pack our run game. And uh, just like you said, uh, we need to make sure that we're handling the no talent issues. And, you know, the, these, these games that uh, whenever the, the talent's a little bit different or equal, every play matters. So we need to be on our game. Uh, I think our players came out today. Um, I'd like to, like to see a, a little bit better effort, consistent effort. 
so tomorrow we need to make sure that, uh, that we are consistent with our effort and our technique needs to improve. How, how big was it for your team just to experience a win and, and get the, the good feeling of a win? Because there hasn't been a ton of that in the last couple of years. Yeah, it was great. Uh, I thought... Uh, I thought our effort on Thursday was outstanding. Uh, when you went back and you watched the tape, uh, I think technique-wise, we've got a long way to go. Uh, there were some opportunities that uh, that we missed out there uh, on offense, and there were some things we did on defense, and we wanted our kicking game, particularly that uh, extra point field goal team, to be much more clean. Throughout ball camp, a lot of the players uh, said they knew about Darius Wade um, from his past, but they wanted to see him get back up to that level. Yeah. He's up to his old days now? Uh, not yet. Uh, I've been around Darius a long time, and uh, there were some things in that game that, uh, that he wasn't as sharp as you would wish. Uh, he, took, he had some unnecessary movements in the pocket. Uh, he took the wrong footwork at time. There was uh, probably five or six missed opportunities that, uh, that we need to make. And uh, when we were, you're going in and you're playing teams like Kansas State, you don't get those plays back. So we need to make sure that uh, he improves fundamentally, just like I said, uh, our whole team needs to. But uh, for a guy that hasn't played in a year, I was happy uh, with his performance. But uh, there was some technique and there was some missed opportunities that we need to clean up. Of your travel roster for Saturday, you're going to have 20-something guys playing their first road game. How much do you have to address that this week? It's different. Uh, crowd noise is different. Uh, playing in a, uh, in a tough, hard, loud environment with a team that's extremely disciplined and extremely tough, uh, you got to have a hundred. You got to have laser beam focus. Uh, everything's got to be wrapped around that play, and uh, it's going to be a great challenge and it's going to be a great learning experience. I think for our kids to to have the sense of urgency that they're going to need to have success. Three point win or a forty three point win? the same, but at the same time, do you feel like the way you guys won gives you maybe some added confidence going into this week? Um, not really. You know, it's, it's 100% concentration on just that play. Um, if we have opportunities to score, we're going to score. If we have opportunities to stop them, we're going to stop them. So um, I think it's irrelevant. How are you guys emulating that loud environment in practice that you know? Yeah, we're working on crowd noise. We're, you know, obviously you have to have different types of cadences, particularly when you're in the shotgun. Uh, I think they do a great job of timing up their blitzes. Uh, I think they're really, really well coached. Um, you can see it. You can feel it. Um, you can feel their culture. You can feel how hard they play. And I think that's in all three phases of their game. Chris Clemens seems traditionally has some really innovative stuff that they've done on defense. Offensively, do you guys use this as a barometer game to see where you guys are at? No. Uh, anytime that we, it doesn't matter who we're playing. It doesn't matter if it's a one double A, if it's Ohio State, if it's uh, um, Western Michigan. We're just going to work on 100% concentration on just that play improving and trying to compete just on that snap. And if you do that, you got an opportunity to to win enough snaps and win the game. Going back even to previous years, every time Grant Lloyd has gotten in the game, he's been effective. But if you get to a point where you only have two quarterbacks, I don't, is there a way you have to juggle the quarterbacks if you only have two? Yeah. Yeah, if you have two, it's, it's really scary when you have one. So, yes, absolutely. Two's scary enough. Hopefully we have three. 
you gotten word on that one way or the other? Not yet. Want to talk about the offense, Coach? Talk a bit about the performance of the defense last uh, Saturday, and in particular the biggest challenge you see on film for your defense going up against Kansas State. Looks like they like to control the clock, run the ball. Yeah, very similar to how we want to play football. Um, just like I said. Um, you watch them play, you can feel team football. You can feel how tough they are in all phases. They want to run the ball. They want to play action pass. They take their shots. Uh, I, think the, I think they're a very, very well-coached team all the way across the board. And uh, the thing that I'm most impressive with is uh, they just don't play hard. I think they're technique, uh, extremely technique sound. Is that the biggest challenge for your team right now, doing what you do best regardless of what they're doing? Yeah, without a doubt. And uh, where we need to take the next step is we need to become better technicians in every aspect. I've, I alluded to Darius, but he's not the only one. There's a lot of uh, I could go right down the row with the defense and same thing on offense and the same thing in special teams. We need to improve fundamentally. And if we improve fundamentally, it gives you a chance. You know, your technique is always going to bring you home. When you get into these games where the talent is the same or the talent is better, the only way that you're surviving is relentless effort with great technique. And that's the area that we need to continue as coaches to, to improve our players. This past weekend, Mac Brown said something like he, did, he never enjoyed wins nearly enough, and then he retired and came back. Um, how is your philosophy on enjoying a win and celebrating and then turning the page? It was great uh, afterwards. It was great in the morning watching it with the players, and then after that, it's over. On to the next. I want to ask you about uh, what it's like to be a coach and maybe not be able to be with your team. You know, over the weekend, Hugh Freeze was literally in a hospital bed up in the press box clearly doing everything he possibly can to be with his guys. I think most people might look at that and be like, wow, that's kind of extreme. But college coaches are different. What do you make of that situation, and you know, how would you feel if you weren't able to be there with the guys? Yeah, that's a tough situation. and. Uh... Uh, I understand that that was a serious illness that he had. I, I don't know the details, but I understand that it was possibly life-threatening. So that's a, that's a very uh, tough situation for the coach's family, the players, and everyone involved. So um, our prayers go out to him for sure. Can you speak toward the commitment that coaches in general have to this game, um, you know, the work you put in throughout the year, and then you only have 13, 14 games? Um, just how big a deal each of these games are every second. Yeah, it's it's a big deal for our players. They only get uh, so many shots. And I think whenever you do the math, I think I did it when I was at Michigan on, if you really just take down the allotted playing time on, on, on a particular side of the ball, I think it's like 38 minutes your total playing time is on a particular side of the ball. It's just crazy. So you do 365 days a year for 12 shots and 38 minutes. So. Um, I, I think all the commitment and everything, you know, coaches, that's what we do. But, uh, you know, to get players to um, make it a 365-day year-round deal and understand that the team's more important than them, I think that's what college football, that's, what, that's why college football is special. For your offensive line, you had a handful of guys playing new positions, some guys playing for the first time. How did you feel that five did in your first game? I think they did uh, very similar to what I said about Darius. There was some times that uh, they did some really, really good things. I think uh, 
our technique needs to continue to improve. And the reason that we're making such a big deal about technique is it's the only thing that brings you home whenever uh, the talent is equal or, or the talent is greater. So and we're making a big deal about trying to become, we have, we have jumped, we have made huge strides in fundamentals. And not to say that we're terrible, but you gotta be elite. You gotta be on your stuff all the time to, uh, to be able to win these games that are coming down the pipe. You guys had seven or eight penalties in the opener. Obviously, won't get any easier this week with the environment. So, kind of, what have you guys done specifically to correct some of those issues and fix those no talent issues? As you yeah, I got to stay out of the way, not get run over by an official. That starts there. Um, we we had a unsportsmanlike conduct uh, penalty that we don't want to have. Um, we should have had 15 extra yards, but we didn't keep our composure, and then uh, obviously I got in the way. So. Uh, I thought uh, for the first game, I thought it was good, uh, but uh, we want to continue to make sure that we're not shooting ourselves in the foot. It's hard calling plays whenever it's second and 15. So we got to stay on schedule. Did you spend extra time this week, Coach, on uh, special teams? Because I think that was an area you mentioned some concern. Yeah, yeah, we do every week. But uh, um, we're trying to, in all three phases, just like I said, really become, you know, we played hard, we played fast which was a positive. I thought the energy was great. I think uh, all three phases were pulling for each other. That was really positive. Uh, the negative was is when you turn on the tape, you go, we can't use that technique against some of the people that we're getting ready to play. Concerned about how the team's going to respond to adversity they haven't had yet? Yeah, absolutely. But uh, uh, I'm looking forward to watching that, to be quite honest with you. I want to, uh, I want to see. And we've been pounding in our players' head. We, we pounded it in their head uh, uh, before we left for the hotel. It doesn't matter if you're up 14, down 14. It's the same business, same way of conducting yourself. So it, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing our team having to respond to a situation like that. And I've always thought this. Every team that I've been on, those great teams, you find out if you're a great team when you're down 14 and you find a way to come back. And uh, so uh, that's what we're going to try to do. So you just heard the Scott Leffler uh, post, uh, not post game, but the preview to Kansas State. He's ready for this game. Uh, this is going to be a good test for Bowling Green. Both teams evenly match when it comes to it. When it comes to it, but I think it's going to be interesting to see how this Bowling Green team, a young team, establishes itself in this first road game, road test for Bowling Green. And by the way. Darius Wade was named MAC Offense East Offensive Player of the Week, so it's good to see uh, Darius getting some recognition from the Mid America Conference. Uh, he was all, also him and Kennedy were also named the Jets Athletes of the Week. They'll get something from Jets Pizza as well. But like I said, Saturday, twelve o'clock on Fox Sports Net. Bowling Green travels to Kansas State. As you are listening to All Indiel for tonight, right here. On the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you listen, wherever and whenever you listen to the program, thank you so much for tuning into the program. And now, let's continue to talk about college football. We've recapped the brown and orange. Let's recap the whole week and in general in college football. So, of course, recapping week one in the rest of the college football landscape, let's talk about it. We have four other top 25 games that took place on Thursday. 17th-ranked UCF dominating FAMU 
62 to nothing. Alabama, uh, excuse me, not Alabama, but Utah getting a 30 to 12 win over BYU. I thought BYU could pull the upset in this one, but the Utes are pretty, pretty good. Texas A&M a 41 to 7 win over Texas State. The defending champion Clemson Tigers rolling past Georgia Tech by a score of 52 to 14. Friday night slate of games, two games on the docket, of course, of the top 25. Michigan State cruising toward a 28-7 win over Tulsa. And Wisconsin putting down the beatdown against the uh, against UCF 49-0. And then we get to Saturday's games. Iowa State, 24th first ranked in the country, struggled. Matt Campbell and his Cyclones struggling against Northern Iowa. Takes three overtimes. For them to win 29 to 26, unbelievable. Uh, Nebraska a winner 35 to 21. Washington was a winner over East Washington University 47 to 14. The Alabama Crimson Tide cruising to a 42 to 3 win over Duke, winning in the Chick Fil A kickoff game. Penn State shellacking Idaho 79 to 7. They had a running clock at the start of the fourth quarter. Stanford a 17-7 win over Northwestern. Liberty falls to Dino Babers, the former Bowling Green State University head coach, 24-0. Georgia a 30-6 win over Vanderbilt. LSU a 55-3 win over Georgia Southern. Uh, Auburn, under the bright lights in Jerry World, gets the win 27-21 over Oregon. And we'll get to that game here in just a second. Miami of Ohio, 14-38 win over Iowa. Texas a 45-14 win over Louisiana Tech, who Bowling Green will face next week. Uh, Washington State a 58-7 win over New Mexico State. And Oklahoma a 49-31 win over, over Houston. So now let's get to some of the local games. And we'll start with Ohio State first and foremost. They opened up their season at the shoe against Florida Atlantic University. And it was just... Too much Ohio State for that one. Field, Justin Fields having a great game, throwing four touchdown passes and also running in for a score as the fifth-ranked Buckeyes cruised a 45-21 win over FAU. Looking at the box score in this game for you, Fields 18 for 25, 234, four TDs in the game. J.K. Dobbins 21 carries for 91 yards, one TD in the game. Like I said, Justin Fields 12 carries, 61 yards, one TD in the game. O'Clev, five carries, five catches, 68 yards, one TD in the game. Victor, two catches, 65 yards, one TD in the game. Ruket, four catches, 38 yards, two TDs in the game. For Florida Atlantic, it was Robson, 22 of 34, 178, one TD in the game. Uh, Auger was also in the game. He was three for five, 30 yards, one interception, unfortunately. Charles was the leading ball carrier with 10 carries for 25 yards. Bryant, six catches, 79 yards. Harris, four catches, 57 yards. And Rain, six catches, 29 yards, one TD in the game. The overall standings team-wise goes like this. On the the team, the team standings looks like this. Uh... Ohio State 7 for 14 on third down. FAU 
a total of five for seven on third down. FAU one for one on third on fourth down. Total yards, Ohio State had 469 yards of total offense. Uh, FAU, 228 yards of total offense in the game. 206 through the air, 232 for Ohio State, 206 for Florida Atlantic. They had a total of 22 yards. Yes, I said that right. 22 yards of total rush offense. Ohio State, 237 yards. Ryan Day's got to clean up the penalties. Seven penalties for 62 yards. Florida Atlantic, five penalties, 35 yards. Ohio State did turn over the ball two times. Florida Atlantic one time, but they led in possession 32 minutes and 3 seconds. Florida Atlantic, 27 minutes and 57 seconds. So a dominating performance for Ohio State. Only being a 24-point win. Could have been... Could have been a lot higher. Of course, let's talk about Big Blue really quickly. Big Blue took on Min, uh, Middle Tennessee at the shoe under the primetime lights, and they struggled in the game early on, but they did kick it up a notch, scoring a total of 27 points in the first half and cruising to a 40-21 to win. Over Middle Tennessee, Shane Patterson, 17 for 29, 203 yards, three TDs in the game. Dylan McCaffrey, two for two, 17 yards in the game for Michigan. O'Hara was the leading passer for Middle Tennessee. He was 22 for 32, 217 yards, two TDs, one INT in the game. On the rushing standpoint, it was Sherbert, eight carries, 90 yards, no TDs in the game. O'Hara was the leading runner for Middle Tennessee, 13 carries, 32 yards, 1 TD in the game. Um, Receiving-wise, Marshall for Middle Tennessee, 1 catch, 59 yards, 1 TD. Pierce, 3 catches, 26 yards, 1 TD in the game. For Michigan, it was Black with 4 catches, 80 yards, 1 TD in the game. Collins, 3 catches, 49 yards, 1 TD in the game. And McNeil, 2 catches, 37 yards, 1 TD in the game. The team stats look like this. Michigan had 26 first down to Middle Tennessee 16. On third down, Michigan was 5 for 13. Middle Tennessee 4 for 15. Both teams 0 for on fourth down. Total yards, Michigan had 453 total yards. Middle Tennessee 301. 220 of the 453 yards for Michigan was through the air. 233 on the ground for Middle Tennessee of the 301 yards. 301 yards, 234 through the air, 67 on the ground. Michigan, 8 penalties for 55 yards. 8 penalties as well for Middle Tennessee, 54 yards. Both teams turned over the ball twice. The possession arrow went to Michigan with 33 minutes and 16 seconds. Middle Tennessee, 26 minutes and 44 seconds. So Big Blue getting the win over Middle Tennessee, 40-21. to 21. The final game... Of course, we're going to look at right now is Notre Dame. Notre Dame getting having a big test in front of them against Louisville. Going into halftime, figuring it was going to be an interesting game at 14 apiece. And then Notre Dame gets a late touchdown in the second in the in the in the uh, first half. And they started to turn it up and they put up 35 on Louisville and beat. The Cardinals 35 to 17. As Ian Book ran down for one touchdown and threw another, 
Jamar Smith rushed for two scores as number nine ranked Notre Dame beats Louisville 35-17 on Monday night. Looking at the box score for Ian Book, 14 completions for 23 yard, 23 attempts, 193 yards in total, one TD in the game. Thomas Jones Jr., 15 carries for 110 yards, one TD in the game. Book, 14 carries for 81 yards, one TD in the game. Smith had eight carries, 24 yards, two TDs in the game. Claypool, five catches, 94 yards, no TDs in the game. Trumbull, three catches, 49 yards, one TD in the game. Armstrong has one catch, 16 yards as well. For a Louisville pass, was the leading pass rusher at, at 12 catches, 12 completions for 27 yards, 134 yards, no TDs, no interceptions in the game. Hawkins, 19 carries for 122 yards. Pass was also the leading rusher for touchdowns, 16 carries for 67 yards, two TDs in the game. Atwell, five catches, 47 yards, no TDs. Mike Ford, two catches, 43 yards in the game. The team stats looked like this. Notre Dame had 18 first downs to Louisville's 21. On third down, Notre Dame was 5 for 12. Louisville, 6 for 15. Notre Dame had 423 yards of total offense. Louisville had 383. Of the 423 yards in total for Notre Dame, 193 yards were through the air. And 230 were on the ground for the 383 yards of total offense for Louisville. 134 was through the air, 249 on the ground. Notre Dame had four penalties for 20 yards. Louisville, eight penalties for 50 yards. Louisville turned over the football three times. And here's a funny thing about this. (coughs) Excuse me. We had a back-to-back-to-back fumble. Started off with Louisville fumbling the football from their quarterback. Ian Book then runs in. Get, Notre Dame gets the football. The next play, Ian Book runs into his defender. The football comes loose. Louisville recovers. And then pass. Fumbles the pat, Fumbles the ball at the snap. Notre Dame recovers. And on the next possession, they score a touchdown out of it. Unbelievable. Three inter- three fumbles, three turnovers in the game for Louisville, one turnover in the game for Notre Dame. Louisville t- led the time of possession at 32 minutes. Notre Dame at 28 minutes even. So it will be interesting to see how Notre Dame does after, ten- after their game on Monday. They will head back home for a series of home games before they go on the road to play Georgia. They will they will play New Mexico, the Lobos, on the 14th of September. So they will have a bye next week, this week, upcoming week. So we'll see how they will perform as well as you are listening to All NDL for tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. We'll dive a little bit more into college football. So now looking at some of the other Big Ten games that took place outside the top 25. Of course, San Diego State University, excuse me, South Dakota State University loses to Minnesota on Thursday night, 28-21. to Purdue loses to Nevada on Thursday, 34-31. to 
Rutgers a 48 to 21 win over UMass on Friday night. Looking at Saturday's games, Maryland planting up a shellacking on Howard 79 to nothing. Illinois a 42 to 3 win over Akron. Indiana a 34-24 win over Ball State. And those were the other Mac um Big Ten games. And now let's get to the Mid-American Conference. Of course, the Mac in action. Buffalo on Thursday night, a winner 38-10 over Robert Morris. Central Michigan, a 38-21 win over Albany. Arizona State putting a 30 spot on Kent State, 30-7. Then we get to Saturday. Rhode Island loses to Ohio, 41-20. Eastern Michigan, a 30-23 win over Coastal Carolina. NIU, a 24-10 win over Illinois State. Western Michigan, a 48-13 win over Monmouth. And then we get to... What happened in Kentucky? And I'll tell you, if I was a Rocket fan, I'd be a little nervous. As Terry Wilson and his cans and his Kentucky Wildcats threw two touchdown passes in the game and pulls away from the University of Toledo, thirty-eight to twenty-four. Unbelievable. In the game for Toledo, Nagani, 7 for 12, 122 yards, no TDs, no interception. He was pulled from the game after he made a slide. He slid, and he was hit with high contact. Not good to see. He went into concussion protocol. Brantley comes in and absolutely lays an egg for the Rockets. 4 for 13 for 44 yards. One interception of the game. He was like throwing two-seam fastballs. Absolutely terrible. For Kentucky, Wilson, 19 for 26, 246 yards of total pass. Two TDs in the game. Nagani was also the leading runner for the University of Toledo. 14 carries for 73 yards, one TD in the game. Brian Kobach, 15 carries for 73 yards, one TD in the game. Brantley, 5 carries for 3 yards, one TD in the game. For the University of Toledo. Kentucky in rushing. Rushing was smoked with 7 carries. 78 yards. 1 TD in the game. Rose had 16 carries for 64 yards. 1 TD in the game. Receiving wise. Mitchell 3 catches 59 yards. McKinley 3 catches 53 yards. Seymour 1 catch 22 yards. For Kentucky it was Bowen Jr. 6 carries. 6 catches 77 yards. Wagner, three catches, 57 yards, no TDs in the game. Oliver, one catch, 32 yards, one TD in the game. Team stats look like this. Toledo have one, 15 first downs to Kentucky's 20 on third down. Toledo was 7 for 16. Kentucky, 3 for 11. Totally, the total offense between pass and rush. Toledo, 347 yards. In total, Kentucky, 422. Of those 422, 246 were through the air, 176 through the ground. For Toledo's 347 yards, 166 through the air, 181 on the ground. Toledo had 11 penalties for 80 yards. Kentucky, 7 penalties for 61 yards. Both teams had turned over the football twice, one on a fumble and one on an interception. 
Kentucky led in possession 30 minutes and 45 seconds. Toledo 29 minutes and 15 seconds. If I'm a Rocket fan, and I'm going to say this to you right now, I'll be worried. The future is not with Brantley. Not at all, folks. And I know you're going into now a bye week with um, having a home game on the 14th against Murray State. But I will say this. Your toughest part of your schedule is still coming forward. At Colorado State. At home against BYU. And at home against Western Michigan before you come to Dwight L. Perry Stadium. It'll be interesting to see how the Rockets perform going forward. And we'll preview all the games for week two coming up on Thursday's edition of All Andy Offer. Excuse me, on Friday's edition, a special Falcon Friday's edition of the program. As you're listening to All Andy Offer tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whatever you're listening, Thank you for tuning into the program. And now let's continue to talk about the gridiron. We have finally hit the end of the preseason. And I have to do a retraction, folks. So the NFL preseason has come to an end. And it ended with the battle of the Lake Erie teams. As the Cleveland Browns hosted the Detroit Lions. The Lions 0-3 going into the final preseason game at First Energy Stadium. The Browns 2-1. and one. And rookie Austin Seabreeze appears to have locked up the kicking job for the Browns in this effort. And the Browns finish up the preseason with the win. 20-16 in the game. Lions really not that much to say about him. Stafford did not play in this game, of course. None of the real starters really started in this game. This was all um, second-team effort. But Gabbert for Cleveland started at the helm, and he led most of it. 13 for 24, 117 yards, 1 TD in the game. Blunt was the other receiver, eleven uh, other pat, uh, quarterback, 11 for 17, 115 yards, no interceptions, two TDs in the game. For Cleveland, Hillard was the carrier, 12 carries for 65 yards. A.J. Colette, Olette, seven carries, 19 yards in the game. Uh, on the receiving core, Hyman, five catches, 61 yards. Willies, two, catch, two catches, 46 yards. Gray, one catch, 19 yards in the game. For the, for the Lions in the game, Johnson was the leading pass, passer, 9 for 15, 157 yards, 1 TD in the game, no interceptions in the game. Matt Thompson was the carrier for the Lions, leading carrier, 11 carries, 35 yards, no TDs in the game. Johnson, 4 carries, 17 yards, 1 TD in the game. Uh, Fuglem, 3 ca- catches, 80 yards. Natata, 3 catches, 45 yards, 1 TD in the game. The stats look like this overall. In the final preseason game on first down, the 
Browns had 22 first downs to the Lions, 12. On third down, the Lions were 2 for 13. The Browns, 5 for 15. The total yards, the Browns had 336 yards of total offense to the Lions, 204. On In the air for the Lions, it was of those 204 yards, 146 through the air, 58 on the ground. That's not going to cut it. And this is all practice squad team, too, folks. Three Of the 336 for the Browns, 224 through the air, 112 on the ground. The Lions, 12 penalties for 94 yards. The Browns, 10 penalties, 88 yards. They did turn over the football twice in two interceptions that were thrown in the game. The Browns led in possession 32 minutes and 26 seconds. The Lions, 27 minutes and 34 seconds. So... Looking at it this way, the Lions are 0-4 in preseason. And one game that you saw with Matthew Stafford, he's got to be either very, very healthy and raring to go for this opener this upcoming Sunday night in Arizona, or he's going to be flat. Like the soda that they serve in Arizona. It's it's just going to be interesting to see how bad this Lion team is going to be. And like I said, I think three, four wins this year for the Lions. I'm sorry to say that. Three, four wins for this Lion team. For the Browns, this is the year. I'm not saying that they're going to win the Super Bowl this year, but I think this is a year that they can really make some noise. I really, really do. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Week 4 of the preseason looked like this. Buffalo was a winner 27-23 over Minnesota. Indianapolis a 13-6 win over Cincinnati. The Jets a 6-0 win over Philadelphia. Carolina a 25-19 win over Pittsburgh. Atlanta, a 31-12 win over Jacksonville. The G-Men beating up on the New England Patriots, 31-29 in preseason. Baltimore, 20-7 win over Washington. Tennessee, 19-15 win over the Bears. Tampa Bay, a 17-15 win over Dallas. Green Bay, a 27-20 win over Kansas City. Miami, a 16-13 win over New Orleans. The Rams were a winner, 22-10 over Houston. Denver, 20, Arizona, 7. The Chargers, a 27-24 win over San Francisco. And Seattle, a win 17-15 over the Raiders. So what does this all mean? It is the end of the preseason, folks. The end of the preseason. Unbelievable. So we now go into the kickoff of the start of the brand new season of the NFL. And it all starts this Thursday. 8:20 on NBC, the kickoff to start season 100 of the NFL season will be the Green Bay Packers visiting the Chicago Bears. 8:20 at Soldier Field. This is the centennial edition for the Bears. Looking forward to seeing how they do in the game. I have the Bears in this game. And we'll have the whole prediction for this whole week, of course, going forward 
on Friday's special Falcon Friday edition of All Andy Offer. You'll hear the college football picks as well as the NFL first week picks as well. Uh, some news and notes to pass along in the NFL. Eric Goff will sign a four-year extension worth $134 million. 104 of that is guaranteed. Uh, there's an agent close to Ezekiel Elliott says that they are very close to signing a deal. Uh, the Bengals have signed running back Bernard to a two-year extension as well, too. Uh, and also, the Chicago Bears have released a couple, unveiled two statues around Soldier Field, one of Walter Payton and Jerry Hellas. So we'll be see, interesting to see how that's going to be played out going forward. Um, some of the slated games for this upcoming week. Baltimore is at Miami. Atlanta is in Minnesota. Buffalo is in New York to play the Jets. Washington's in Philadelphia. The Rams head into Carolina. Kansas City's in Jacksonville. Indianapolis is in L.A. to take on the Chargers. Seattle hosts the Bungles. The G-Men take on the Cowboys. San Francisco will take on Tampa Bay. The Sunday night game on NBC will see New England hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers. Monday night's the doubleheader, of course. New Orleans hosting Houston and Oakland will be hosting the Broncos. The two local teams, of course, the Lions will start their run, hopefully to get at least four wins, which I'm thinking what they're going to get at 425 on Fox against the Arizona Cardinals. And then the Browns will start at 105 as they'll take on the Tennessee Titans. Looking forward to seeing how it's all going to shake up and as well as having to pass along this. With Andrew Luck retiring... I had to reshuffle my NFL preview edition pick. Of course, if you've listened to the, that podcast, you saw that I chose Indianapolis to win the division. I unfortunately, after the Andrew Luck situation, have to retract it. I think Indianapolis will now finish third in that division. Third in that division. And I think Houston will be one. Tennessee 2, Indianapolis 3, and Jacksonville 4. Houston will now be the number 4 seed. Uh, Cleveland now moves up to the number 3 seed. Buffalo now moves to the number 2 seed. And the Chargers are now the number 1 seed overall. Does not change everything else. I still have the Chargers beating the Falcons in this year's Super Bowl. So, again, if you're keeping track at home, Indy now goes to three. Houston is now number one. Tennessee, two. Indianapolis, three. Jacksonville is still in fourth place. As you are listening to All Andy Offer tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, however and whenever you're listening to the program, thank you so much for tuning into the program. And now, after a Long-winded discussion. Let's hit the diamond. The Indians are in a tailspin, my friends. So looking at the diamond, let's talk a little bit about uh, the two teams that are in the local market. Of course, we'll start at the road to 120 losses, and it continues for the Detroit Tigers. Tigers struggling this past weekend. On Thursday, they continued their series against at home 
as they took on the Tribe to finish it up, and they were swept by the Tribe, two to nothing. In the game, Clevenger the win. He goes to ten and two with a two point seven two ERA. Daniel Norris the loss. He goes three and eleven with a four point six six ERA. Brad Hand the save his thirty third of the season. Francisco Lindor homering for the Tribe his twenty fifth of the season. The Tigers had. No runs on four hits, no errors in the game. The Indians, two runs on seven hits, no errors in the game. So continuing with Detroit, they welcomed up the Twins for a big four-game series, and the Twins out-hitting Detroit in the game, in the series, 32, let's see here, 5, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 18 to 32. And it started off on Friday night as they got shellacked by the Twins 13 to 5. Gibson, the one he goes to 13 and 6 with a 4.5 ERA. Edwin Jackson, the loss, he goes to 3 and 8 with a 9.35 ERA. John Hicks homering his 11th of the season. Ryan Rodriguez, his 11th of the season. McCron, his 23rd of the season. As the Twins shellacked the Tigers. 13 to 5. Saturday saw the continuation of that. Minnesota putting up a 10 spot on the board, beating the Tigers 10, oh, excuse me, the Tigers beating the Twins actually 10 to 7. Josh Boyd, the winning goes to 7 and 10 with a 4.58 ERA. Perez, the loss, he goes to 9 and 6 with a 4.89 ERA. The Tigers had 10 runs on 15 hits, no errors in the game. The Twins, seven runs on 10 hits, two errors in the game. For Minnesota, Gardner homering twice, his 25th and 26th of the season. Kepler, his 36th. Polanco, his 20th. Cron, his 24th. And Cruz, his 34th. Ronnie Rodriguez homering twice in the game, his 12th and 13th of the season. Boyd, 11 strikeouts on the big night for him. As the Tigers get the win against Minnesota. But that's all that they could muster, excuse me. So they had, my apologies, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 runs on, let's see here, 30, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. So they were out hit 32 to 21 in the series against Minnesota. On the first, the Twins beating up on the Tigers again. 8-3, Pineda the win. He goes to 11-5 with a 4-11 ERA. Turnbull the loss, 3-14 in his record with a 4.45 ERA. Jordy Mercer homering for the Tigers, his 7th of the season. Continuing again, the Tigers lose again on Labor Day, 4-3. Leno the win. He goes to 3-0 with a 3.46 ERA. Buck Farmer the loss. He goes to 5-6 with a 4.45 ERA. Rogers to save his 22nd of the season. Adondis his 5th. Mickey homering in the game for the Tigers, his 10th of the season. So now Detroit heads the road. They'll take on Kansas City in a big three-game series. As we're doing this podcast late this evening, it actually has just gone final. Kansas City getting a 6-5 win in a walk-off fashion over the Tigers. Kennedy, the win, he goes to 2-2 two two with a 3.58 ERA. Ringer, the loss, he goes to 0-1 with a 9.15 ERA. 
Solaire homering for Kansas City, his 39th of the season. O'Hara homering his 11th of the season. For the Royals, six runs on nine hits, no errors in the game. The Tigers, five runs on 14 hits, and no errors in the game. So Detroit falling, of course, in this one. The road to 120 continues. Tomorrow, it's Edward Jackson on the hill for the Tigers, 8-15 first pitch. He's 3-8 with a 3, 9.35 ERA. Judas to start for Kansas City. He's 8-12 with a 4.93 ERA, 8-15 start time for that one on Fox Sports Detroit. The rest of the series on Thursday for Detroit against Kansas City. On Thursday, a 1-15 start time for that one. Josh Boyd on the bump, 7-10 with a 4.58 ERA. Sparkman for Kansas City, he's 3-10 with a 5.86 ERA, 1-15 start time for that one. A double dip in Oakland, game one. It's a suspended game from earlier this season. Oakland up 5-3 in the bottom of the seventh inning. Fires 3-3 three three with a 5.05 ERA. We'll take on Soto, who is 0-2 with a 10.80 ERA in game in this first game of the suspended game. The late cap at 8 at 10.07. Both teams have not yet named a starter. Saturday sees both teams not yet naming a starter. Sunday, both teams have not named a starter in Oakland, California. On the other side of the lake, the Indians continue to struggle, folks. After the sweeping win against Detroit, they then hit the road for three games in Tampa. And Tampa is a very good team. And Tampa shuts down the Tribe in Game 1 of the series by shutting out the Tribe 4 to nothing. No runs on five hits, no errors for the Indians. For the Rays, four runs on eight hits, no errors in the game. Drake, the win, he goes to 3-1 with a 3.76 ERA. Shane Bieber, the loss, he goes to 12-7 and seven with a 3.27 ERA. Aguilar homering for Tampa, his 10th of the season. So the Indians struggling. The Minnesota Twins getting the win in that game. The second game on Saturday saw the Rays coming up and beating up on the Tribe 9-6. to Bleak, the win, he goes to 6-3 with a 4.41 ERA. Plesek, the loss, he goes to 7-5 with a 3.61 ERA. Pagan, the save, his 16th of the season. For the Indians, Carlos Santana homering his 31st of the season. Francisco Lindor, his 26th. For the Rays, Choi, his 13th. Farm, his 20th. Avisiel Garcia, his 18th. And Dural, his 15th of the season. As the race put nine runs on 11 hits, no errors in the game. For the Indians, six runs on 11 hits, one error in the game for the Tribe. So the Indians try to salvage the series, at least get one game out of everything. And they they could not get anything out of Tampa Bay as they were swept for the first time in a long time by the Rays, 8-2. to two. Indians, two runs on six hits, one error in the game. For the Rays on Sunday, eight runs, 14 hits, no errors in the game. Morton, the win, he goes to 14 and 6 with a 3.06 ERA. Plunko, the loss, he goes to 6 and 4 with a 4.53 ERA. Low homering for Tampa Bay, his sixth of the season. 
as the Rays, getting an 8-2 win over the Tribe and taking three big games and taking a huge lead and a huge step in the right direction to claim a wild card spot. The Indians then returned home for a four-game series against the Pale Hose starting on Labor Day, and they put a shellacking on the Pale Hose, putting 11 runs on 11 hits, two errors in the game as they beat the White Sox 11-3. to It was Savelle the win. He goes to 3-3 with a 1.94 ERA. Detweiler with a loss. He goes to 2-5 with a 6.79 ERA. Bowers homering for Cleveland, his 12th of the season. Santana, his 32nd. The White Sox, like I said, 3 runs, 10 hits, 1 error in the game. The Indians, 11 runs, 11 hits, and 2 errors on the game for the Tribe. Game 2 tonight, of course, of the series has just gone final, and the Indians fall in this game 6-5 to five to the Pale Hose. Marshall, his win, he goes to 4-2 and two with a 3.15 ERA. Cookie Karras coming back from chemotherapy this past Sunday. He is now out in the bullpen. He made it a start on tonight. He gets the loss, unfortunately, 4-7 and seven with a 5.51 ERA. Cologne the save, his 26th of the season. For the White Sox, Jimenez homering twice in the game, his 23rd and 24th of the season. James McCann, his 16th homer of the season for the Pale Hose. For the Indians, Francisco Lindor, his 27th, and Perez, his 22nd of the season. So the Indians continuing their series against the Southsiders tomorrow, 7-10 first pitch. It'll be Daniel Nova on the hill for the White Sox. He's 9-11 with a 4.48 ERA. Shane Bieber will start for the Tribe. He is 12-7 with a 3.27 ERA. 7-10 start time for that one. The concluding game on Thursday, a 1-10 start time. Sees Lopez on the hill for the Pale Hose. He's 8-12 with a 5.41 ERA. Plesak will start for the Tribe. He's 7-5 with a 3.61 ERA. 1-10 start time. You can watch those games on MLB Network as well on Fox Sports Time Ohio. And after that, the Indians then will have a big three-game series against Minnesota to try to make up some ground from what they've lost. That series starts up on Friday night. Both teams have not yet named starters for that one. So with that in mind, let's take a look at the standings going into today's play. So going into tonight's play, here is what the standings look like so far. And the division looks like this. Minnesota in first place at 86-52. and 52. Cleveland 80-59. and 59. Six and a half games now out of first place. The White Sox 61-77. and 77, 25 games out of first place. Kansas City 50-89. and 89, 36 and a half out of first place. The road to 120 continues for Detroit at 40 and 96, 45 games out of first place in the American League Central. The rest of the American League looks like this. In the East, the Yankees are 91 and 49 in first place with the three game sweep for Tampa Bay. They're now 82 and 59, 9.5 games out of first place. Boston, 74 and 64, 16 games out of first place. Toronto, 55 and 85, 36 games out of first place. Baltimore 46 and 93, 44 and a half games out of first place. In the West, Houston 
90 and 50. And by the way, congratulations to Justin Verlander, his third career no hitter, and he does it against the Jays on on Monday. Uh, excuse me, on Sunday. Congratulations to Verlander on that one. He's now one of the elite pitchers, in my opinion. Three complete games and three no hitters. Congratulations. Houston 90 and 50 in first place. Oakland 78 and 58, 10 games out. Texas is 68 and 72, 22 games out of first place. The Angels are 65 and 73, 24 games out of first place. And Seattle 58 and 82, 32 games out of first place. In the senior circuit in the East, Atlanta 86 and 54 in first place. Washington 78 and 59. Six and a half games out of first place. Philadelphia at 72 and 65, 12 and a half out. The Mets, 70 and 68, 15 games out of first place. The Marlins are 49 and 88, 35 and a half games out of first place. The West looks like this. The Dodgers have basically won this division. They're 90 and 50 in first place. The second place team is 18 games out of first place. At 71 and 67, and that is the Arizona Diamondbacks. San Francisco 68 and 72, 23 games out of first place. The Padres 64 and 73, and Colorado 59 and 80, 30 and a half games out of first place. The National League Central still a toss-up race. St. Louis now holding the top spot at 78 and 60. The Cubs 75 and 63, three games out of first place. Milwaukee 71 and 67, seven games out. It is the Reds at 64 and 75, 14 and a half games out of first place. Pittsburgh 60 and 78, 18 games out of first place. The wild card standings looked like this if it started today. The Yankees would be the holding the number one overall seed. Houston would be the two seed. Minnesota the third seed. Wild card race looks like this. Tampa Bay is in front at 82 and 59. They're plus one. Cleveland in the second wild card position now at 80 and 59. Oakland on the outside looking in a half game out of a wild card spot at 78 and 58. Boston 74 and 64, five and a half games out. Texas 61 and 72, 12 and a half games out of a wild card spot. The Angels are 63 and 73, 14 games, 14 and a half games out of a wild card spot. The White Sox 61 and 77, 18 and a half games out of a wild card spot, and Seattle 58 and 62, 22 and a half games out of a wild card position. In the senior circuit, it will be the Dodgers with the number one overall seed, Atlanta the two, Seattle the uh, St. Louis the three, and it also depends on the wild card. Washington at 78 and 59, three and a half games up, the Cubs 75 and 63, holding strong. Philadelphia. Two and a half games out of a wild card position at 72 and 65. Arizona 71 and 67. Milwaukee 71 and 67. Both teams four games out of a wild card spot. The Mets 70 and 68. Five games out. San Francisco nine games out at 66 and 72. San Diego 64 and 73. Ten and a half out. The Reds 11 and a half out at 64 and 75. Pittsburgh 60 and 78. 15 games out. Colorado is 59 and 80, 16 and a half games out of a wild card position. So a lot of interesting developments going forward with this um with this season. 
some of the other games going on around Major League Baseball. Of course, besides the Indians and the White Sox and the Royals and Tigers, the Yankees putting up a big spot, 10-1 to over the Rangers. The Mets losing to the Nationals, 11-10. to Philadelphia, a 6-2 win over the Reds. The Cubs, a 6-1 win over the Mariners. Looking at wildcard races, look like this. The Athletics are seven are up seven to five in the top of the seventh inning as we're doing this podcast this evening on the Angels. So uh, Athletics win will get them into the wildcard race, and the Indians would be a half game out of a wildcard spot. Unbelievable, folks! Just unbelievable. We'll see how it all pans out after this weekend. And by the way. The Mud Hens finished their season this past weekend. Got a chance to go down to the yard on Saturday night to see them play Louisville. They looked really, really good. Unfortunately, they lost their game against Louisville. They finished their season with a record of the Mud Hens record going in from the final game this past Monday, April 4th. They Finish with the record of 66 at 74, a virtual tie with Indianapolis for second place. Columbus won the division at 81 and 59, Louisville 59 and 81. So we'll see how it all shakes out. Um, the Rail Riders are going to be in the playoffs as they played um, an extra game today to see who wins the division. So Scranton will it's seventy six and sixty five. Syracuse finishes at seventy five and sixty six. As the as it will be Scranton, Syracuse, Gwinnett. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me, Durham, Durham, Scranton, Gwinnett, and Columbus all making the postseason in the AAA playoffs. As you're listening to All Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning into the program. And I know this is a pretty long episode, but bear with us. We're almost to the end. And it's time to hit the ice. Yes, I said that right. It's time to hit the ice. So I'm going to tie it all in together right here on the All Andy Elford Network. As we come to the end of the program, we're going to talk a little bit about Andy Rance. But first, we're going to dive into the ice situation and talk about the news and notes around the NHL. Of course, the big news today, Nicholas Cromwell announcing his retirement in with the Detroit Red Wings, he will take a advising role to the general manager. Cromwell, a very good defenseman player. Um, I felt like it was his time to go because Detroit is becoming a younger and younger and younger team. I feel Detroit is a better team without, unfortunately, without him in the lineup because now it gives it more chance for a younger guy to step up to the plate. And we'll see how it all shakes out for Detroit. The other big news and notes is that the Jackets are back. The majority of their players return back. Uh, training camp begins next week for the Jackets, but they can start training now. 
through like some of the extracurricular activities like Cam Atkinson stuff and stuff like that. But today was the Blue Jackets golf outing. Brandon Dubitsky, Nick Felino, Cam Atkinson, Boone Jenner all were playing in it, as well as some of the alumni from the Jackets and some of the media members, including Bruce Drennan. Uh, but the big news of the day for the Jackets is that uh, we have a new piece in the media center for the Jackets. John Luke Grandpierre, the former Blue Jacket defenseman, was now a former radio analyst for uh, CBJ Radio. Now goes into the television booth. He will be the TV analyst uh, um, covering what Bill Davidge once did. Looking forward to see John Luke Grandpierre do it. Um, he was on the NHL network for some time. Of course, now he's on with the Jackets now covering the Jacket games and being the analyst for the Blue Jackets. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that's going to shape up. Like I said, next week starts training camp. We will have full in-depth analysis from training camp. Um, And then in two weeks, we'll have the first preseason games of the season. We'll get our first look at what this team looks like. Looking forward to seeing how this Jacket team will do this year and seeing what is going to be capable of this team as well. Uh, Other news on the ice to pass along for you uh, no real new signing for the walleye. Of course, the walleye are now selling packages for the for the Comets game on November 6th, which is part of opening weekend. For $35, you can smash a car that has the Fort Lame or Fort Wayne colors on it. And all goes to their walleye wishing well fund. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty cool to see that, but what what's the point? What is the point? The Walleye aren't going to make the playoffs for the next two years. And we haven't heard had a new signing for the Walleye in the last couple weeks. So it, it'll be interesting to see what Dan Watson has to throw out on the ice. So uh, you're listening to All ADL for tonight right here on the Anchor Network. And that's either on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Bleaker, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening. Thank you for tuning into the program. We're all going to tie this in together with Andy Rance. And first and foremost, I want to say thank you so, so much for tuning into the podcast tonight. And if you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, then what are you waiting for? Hit the subscribe button. We do podcasts every Tuesday and now every Friday with a special Falcon Friday edition of our program on Facebook Live. Find us on Facebook at all Andy Alfred. It is at all Andy Alfred. So, of course, dive right into Andy Rants tonight. And, of course, it's not a rant. It's more of a interesting thought to pass along to you. Um, and it's from this past Thursday and what I saw on the field. And I love the university. And this is not related to the university or to the team, but to the game day management people. Two things. The first thing is, I know that we are in a TV market driven by TV commercials and TV play and everything like that. But the on-field entertainment is not necessary here for Bowling Green. For the three minutes that they have on the thing, you do not need to keep driving people onto the field. To honor a, 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 
uh, an award or for constant play. Now, if it's for a military member or if it's for, I don't know, for honoring, honoring some students, that's understandable. But if it's a MAC championship award that you're giving away to the best female academics or honoring the women's uh, MAC champions in so- women's soccer, leave that for the first end of the first quarter when you have the longer TV break. So you're not rushing all the players off the field in that three-minute time lane. And for me, I'm focusing on the field and the play at hand instead of what's happening in the south end zone. So let's edit that up and clean it up. And let's focus in on that to being at the end of quarters and at end of halves instead of every TV timeout. The number two thing is for the students. You students did a fantastic job coming out from Oregon State, filling the whole section up. i got to give you credit for that. But we have to continue. You guys have to continue to fill the stands against Louisiana Tech for homecoming, the big ones for the UT game, and Central Michigan as well, especially the UT game. It's a big crowd on a Saturday afternoon. Fill that stadium full of the student body. It'd be fantastic to see. But I will say this. Be respectful to your opponent. I was watching as Morgan State was coming off the field, the student section. The players have to run past the student section. And the students were giving it to the players. Now, I can understand, you know, the booing and name-calling, but Throwing out the middle finger, throwing popcorn and pop and everything like that. The players. <coughs> Excuse me. There's no need for it. There's absolutely no need for it. And um, if you're going to get them in the head, give it to the offense and cheering them on so that they can get in the head of the defense so they can score more touchdowns. Because be respectful for your opponent because they'll be more respected towards you as a fan base. And it's just a thought. But continue to pack the stands and fill in the, fill in the joint. So I'm very, very proud of you guys. Keep it up. And that's going to wrap it up for All India for tonight. On Friday's edition, a special Falcon Friday edition, we'll have our Facebook Live show, of course, and we will preview week one of the NFL season as well as recap the Thursday night game between Green Bay and Chicago. we also hear my prediction for week two of college football and the big Bowling Green Kansas State game as well. Can the Indians salvage the series against the, against the Pale Hose for going to Minnesota for a big three-game series? And will the road to 120 continue for the Tigers? It's a battle against Kansas City. You'll hear all that and so much more on this Friday. Special Falcon Friday edition of All Andy Alford. Remember, follow us on Facebook at All Andy Alford for the live stream. We'll also do the, it will also be taped for the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. However you listen, wherever and whenever you listen, thank you so, so much 
for tuning into the podcast tonight. And until I talk to you guys on Friday, this is Andy Elford saying, I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. Game of life. Keep your stick on the ice. And to the teams that you root for at home, and to my teams, go Jackets! Come on, Tigers. I want to see the road to 120 continue. Come on, Windians. Pick up the pace. And go Falcons! Victory is sweetest. When you have tasted defeat, have a great rest of the week, everybody. I'll talk to you on Facebook Live on Friday for a special Falcon Friday edition of All Andy Alfred. Love you. Talk to you guys then. Follow Andy on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred. It is at AllAndyAlfred and on Facebook.com slash AllAndyAlfred. This has been a presentation of the All Andy Alfred Network, powered by Anchor.